Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello. So wonderful to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today you have uh, entered the shop on a very special day, for this is no ordinary episode. Today is a special feature here at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, something we introduced a, a while back earlier this year, and I, I see you've noticed up on our high ceilings, uh, very back of the shop, uh, on the very top of the wall where the wall meets the roof, uh, I see you've noticed a hex mark. Yes, uh, you, I'm surprised you have only noticed it now. It has been there for, for quite some time. An old Amish friend of the shop painted this. Of course, hex marks are seen throughout the eastern portion of the United States, even into the, the central part of the country, maybe even further, as people have moved west over the centuries. But they originated in Pennsylvania, a symbol of the Pennsylvania Dutch farmers. History tells us that they brought them from the Rhineland to America, from the Amish and the Mennonite, other German farmers in the 17th century. And these colorful markings and designs, these hex signs, were believed by many to protect barns from fire, lightning, sickness, the work of evil spirits, demons, and even witchcraft. And therein lies the subject of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. As we look back on a particular favorite of mine and pay our respects to a recently departed champion of genre. So let's pop in the tape for Be Kind Rewind Warlock. So the world of horror and fantasy, even science fiction, was shocked and rocked earlier this year. Of course, back in January, just a week after his 65th birthday, actor Julian Sands, uh, who's, you know, he's been a mountaineer for quite some time, loves hiking, mountain climbing. He was in Mount Baldy in California. And word was in January that he had gone missing. They found his car near Mount Baldy and searches started. But January in, in California, you'd think it'd be a good time to search for somebody. Uh, but they had like record snowfall that year, uh, January and February. So searches started, but they were really hampered by the inclement weather in California this year. And of course, months passed and you just... You had this this sinking feeling in your gut, and even John Malkovich, who is a a close and dear friend of the late Julian Sands, uh, even said that you know he just uh, he wasn't holding out hope. Uh, he he knew what this meant. Uh, you know, reading quotes from Julian Sands' brothers, uh, you know, saying essentially the same thing that they've come to terms with the fact that he's gone because uh, you just you just knew after months. Uh, several months, in fact, that this wasn't going to have a happy ending, which was tragic in its own right. But then, of course, they picked up the search here back in late May, early June. I think it was probably early June. And they started searching again. And then it wasn't until a couple hikers 
on June 24th, found human remains. And then, of course, three days later, on June 27th, those remains were identified positively as the remains of the late Julian Sands. And of course, Julian Sands is one of those actors that I have just loved over the years from the first movie I ever saw him in, which is the movie we're going to be talking about here in a little bit uh, in this Be Kind Rewind segment. But seeing him in so many wonderful movies like the the subject today, Warlock, seeing him in Arachnophobia just a year later, many movies over the, the past decades. Of course, uh, he most recently was in a movie, a German film, Seneca on the Creation of Earthquakes with John Malkovich that came out earlier this year. I have not seen it, but it's one of those movies that is interesting and two wonderful actors. So uh, it's one of those movies that's been on my radar. I just just haven't watched it yet. Now I, I, I feel like I gotta watch it uh, because that was really uh, Julian Sands' last performance on the silver screen. But he's done a lot of film, a lot of TV. Of course, uh, I was so happy to see him show up in the Rose Red miniseries uh, based on a Stephen King original teleplay. So much TV over the years. He's been in Dexter. He's been in Gotham. I love the movie he did for Hulu's Into the Dark series. Uh, he does that uh, Christmas episode, A Nasty Piece of Work, which I talked about briefly, I believe, last Christmas's uh, Christmas episode. Uh, a wonderfully dark comedy and uh, perfect for Christmas. Uh, a little bit of horror and just a, a wonderful job by Julian Sands and in everything I've seen him in. He's one of those actors that just never disappoints and the kind of actor that, you know, dazzles you on the screen. Uh, he can he can repeat dialogue and he can repeat lines where the line, especially in like the movie we're going to be talking about, Warlock, there, there are certain lines that he delivers that in a lesser actor's hand could come across as hokum, but he just has such a great command of the English language. And of course, uh, being British doesn't, doesn't hurt in giving uh, authority to his, his, his voice and his dialogue and just some wonderful lines. And we'll, we'll talk about them. Some, some of those coming up, uh, some of my favorite lines of his, where he just, he just steals the show. It is all about him and, and not in a look at me sort of way it's just he's that good of an actor he's just that captivating that uh, you can't help but not be able to take your eyes off of him when he's delivering some of these wonderful lines of dialogue that like i said in a lesser actor's hands could have been kind of hokey but but he just you know he had something about him that was very special and i was always happy to see him show up in various films and TV series and TV shows, uh, TV movies over the decades. But even more so than him just being a wonderful actor, he he really did seem like a wonderful person. I, of course, I can't attest to it. I didn't know him personally. It's one of those actors, though, that you, you kind of wish you could have just had one meal with him. Uh, sit down, pick his brain, just listen to him tell stories uh, about all the wonderful experiences he's had from from mountain climbing to some of the wonderful actors he's he's been fortunate enough to to act with and some of the experiences of of acting on these these wonderful films and, and TV series that he's had the chance to and it was really really nice to be able to get to hear some of the people that did know him talk about him 
Uh, John Malkovich, who is is a very close friend of uh, Julian Sands, of course, they met on the film The Killing Fields back in 1984 and became friends and have been close over the years. Reading some of the quotes where he talked about Julian Sands was just very touching and heartbreaking all at the same time. He says, "Uh, I love Jules. He was someone who was very, very clever. He goes on to say he was such a terrific storyteller, Jules, and so, so funny. Since the day we met, I could talk to him about anything, and he could talk to me about anything. Having lost my best friend, childhood best friend, I can feel the pain that he's he's hiding in his words. You know, of course, you, uh, you want to do nothing but glow over the person you've lost because it is really about them being lost and not about your pain. But you can tell in his words that when he's not in front of the camera, when he's not in front of the microphone, when he's at home and he's has a moment to himself and he thinks back on his friend, it's not these these glowing and, and, and beautiful words about Julian Sands. Uh, you can tell that the pain of, of losing his friend probably uh, affects him more than than you could imagine in in any of these interviews that he's done. I found another really interesting eulogy tribute to Julian Sands from Melanie Linsky. Of course, she played with Julian Sands in the Rose Red miniseries back in 2001. She posted on Instagram, Julian Sands, I met you on the set of Rose Red in 2000. A Room with a View was a movie I had seen a dozen times and I adored you in it. I was so nervous I could barely speak to you. When I did finally tell you what the movie you meant to me, I was struck by your humility, your lack of ego, the absence of any grandstanding. I got the sense that it was a special film to you, but also just a job, in a long line of interesting, eclectic jobs, all of which you were so grateful to have had. We became fast friends. You bought me so many presents, mostly huge and intimidating nonfiction books and classical music CDs. You found out I had never been to the opera, and so you came to my apartment one night and picked me up, took me out for champagne, and took me to the opera. You giggled when I yawned. In return, I played you the entirety of Dr. Dre's 2001, made you talk on the phone with my boyfriend in New Zealand, and agonized with you over whether to see Billy Bragg or Bright Eyes, both of whom were only in Seattle for one night. And oh no, whatever would I do? You were gracious and patient and tons of fun. We lost touch, but I have never forgotten your kindness, and I will never forget you. My heart goes out to your family and loved ones. And to me, that was such a touching tribute from Melanie Linsky, uh, who, uh, an actress that I absolutely adore and love seeing her show up in things as well, much like Julian Sands. But to hear her talk about her time with him, just it really showed what a gracious and giving person he was. Uh, not just a gracious and giving actor, but a gracious and giving person. And I think that is the real tribute. I mean, we can sit there and talk about his movies and his TV appearances, but uh, it's the people that got to know him on a personal level that when you read their accounts of who he was, who the man Julian Sands was, it's very touching. And you realize that we lost a, a very good person, not just a really good actor. But beings that uh, I did not know the man Julian Sands, all I knew was Julian Sands who played all these wonderful characters and a lot of characters in horror and fantasy uh, even delving into science fiction, uh, just some of the great genre pieces that he's done. That's how I know Julian Sands, and that's what I wanted to talk about. And we're going to talk about the one movie that, that kicked all of this off for, for me 
being a fan of Julian Sands was the 1989 movie Warlock. Of course, it was directed by Steve Miner. Of course, he's done uh, a lot in horror. Friday the 13th, Part 2, Part 3. He did House. He directed Halloween H2O, Lake Placid, the Day of the Dead remake in 2008. Of course, the foil to Julian Sands' Warlock in this movie was Redfern. Giles Redfern, played by Richard E. Grant, another actor that uh, I really enjoy seeing him show up in a lot of movies and in a lot of television. And the movie also starred Laurie Singer, a sister of Mark Singer, another staple in 80s fantasy and science fiction. But Warlock is one of those movies that I saw probably, I I didn't see it in the movie theater, and I'm probably not the only one because the movie actually, I I don't know if you would consider a bomb at the movie theater. I I mean, technically, I guess it is. It didn't make back the money. It was on a $15 million budget, and it only made just over $9 million at the box office. But it's one of those movies that really kind of became a fan favorite and a kind of a a cult following after the fact. Uh, I think if it made any money back, it was probably in the VHS uh, video rental because that's where I saw it first. Uh, Me and my buddy went and rented Warlock. And I have to tell you, from the first time I watched it, I was a a huge fan. I, I thought the idea of it was really interesting. This warlock and this warlock hunter, this witch hunter, go through this portal and are transported forward in time almost 300 years. And we have kind of a fish out of water story with this witch hunter in Redfern. But then you also have kind of this uh, this chase story where they're chasing the warlock, trying to, to get to the Grand Grimoire before he does. And a lot of little mini adventures along the way and it it they did it well enough where there's a lot of exposition there's a lot of lore to dig into with this but they really did it well i mean i i noticed throughout this movie the one thing is that there was a lot of exposition on hunting witches and what this piece of equipment is and you know curses and stuff like that and it was all done really well all the exposition as to the lore of this was generally done within the action or within just a little comment or or something like that, where Redfern has this little box, wood and brass, and he makes the witch compass, and he's putting the blood in, and you're like, what the the hell's going on with this? And then all he says, witch compass. Oh, okay, that's all you need to know. You don't need to know how it works exactly, just that this is a witch compass. And, And it was just wonderful little bits of lore that aren't necessarily explained thoroughly, but you get it. You know, you see what's in front of you. You, okay, which compass? I get how this works. When it's close, you know, it swings towards it. When it's further away, it moves slower. Uh, You know, stuff like that was done really well, I think. And I thought the acting from the two primary actors, Julian Sands and Richard E. Grant, were were fantastic. Lori Lori Singer didn't do a bad job. Uh, I think it was just her character was a little, you know, it was kind of that girls just want to have fun, Cindy Lauper wannabe, stereotypical female character from the 80s. And she had a really weird 
hairdo that was a little off-putting. I couldn't tell if it was a wig or they just tried to make her hair red or what was going on there. Actually, when she got cursed and she started aging 20 years every day, I thought the hair that they gave her for when she was 40 and when she was 60, I thought that hair looked better than the hair she started and ended with in this. But I think the two primary actors, Julian Sands and Richard E. Grant, are really what make this such a fantastic movie. And the moments that you get a little back and forth with them, I think Richard E. Grant uh, really handled the the fish-out-of-water aspect of this. You've got this man who's come from 1691 to, to 1988, and he's, uh, you know, he's just kind of blown away by modern civilization, but he's a man on a mission. He is a witch hunter. He is after this warlock because this warlock killed his wife, and and he feels, you know, responsible, and he needs to take him down. So he does really feel like a man on a mission, and you don't get too caught up in the awe and wonder of him being in the modern day, uh, 300 years later, although the moment where he has to get on an airplane is actually quite funny, because I didn't live in 1691, and I'm still uh, a little nervous about getting on airplanes myself. But handling that old English style of speaking just came very natural to Richard Grant, and and he did a really good job with that. It made the character believable, although it must have been hot as hell in that big fur, long duster vest that he had to wear. I can imagine it looked pretty bright, I don't know if it was summer in California, but by God, that must have been just sweltering in that thing. And then you have Julian Sands. And I think one of the things that the director of this film, Steve Miner, did really well is casting two English actors, two British actors in the role of Redfern and the Warlock. Because uh, having that British accent, it really lent a lot of credence to that old English. I mean, the lexicon of the 17th century, the late 1600s, it sounds a lot more believable coming from somebody with a with a British accent. And Julian Sands had a lot of those lines that in a lesser actor would have come across as as hokum, uh, kind of cheesy and corny. But with with his accent, and, and not even so much the accent, Julian Sands has such a wonderful delivery. He has such a, a confident delivery uh, about him, even bordering. And, and from what I understand, from what I've read of people talking about him, not an arrogant man at all, uh, a confident man, but not an arrogant man. But his delivery exudes a confidence that that borders on arrogance when he when he really pushes it with these villain characters like he he gets to play in this movie warlock and lines like i am the empty crib and still burn full i am he who's coming the stars have foretold i am he the heart forged by blackest coal i am he who maketh whole the glorious goal of satan's unborn soul just lines like that where like i said in a lesser actor's hand is going to come across as kind of hokey and cheesy 
But when you have an actor like Julian Sands, who really just has a wonderful voice and a wonderful, confident delivery, he makes these lines his own. He makes these lines believable. He makes these lines menacing without raising his voice. He really was the perfect actor for this role. Even the hex that he puts on Cassandra, tout, tout, through and about, your callow life in dismay, rentum, osculum, tormentum, a decade twice over a day, you know, it's very rhymy. It's very sing-songy. And like I said, in a lesser actor's hand, I, it, it would have come off crossed as Dr. Seussish. But when you have an actor like Julian Sands, who really commands the language and, and really has a confidence in what he's saying, it just comes across as believable. It comes across as a real hex. It comes across as a real menace towards the Cassandra character. And it's almost done in a playful way, like he's like he's playing with her like a cat playing with a mouse before it devours it. And then, of course, those wonderful lines. Even I, I think this example is probably one of my favorites because it's an example of Julian Sands making more out of less. That scene at the very end in the in the graveyard where he gets the grim grimoire completed. He has all three sections of it. And he, he asks for the name of God. And of course, to say the name of God backwards is to undo creation. And he, he learns the name of God. And, and before, you know, it kind of goes back to that cat and mouse thing. Before he says the name of God backwards and undoes creation, he's taunting God and he's he's toying with God and playing with God when he cries out, looking to the heavens, I know thee, I know thy name, I know the word that can undo all of creation. He's mocking God and he's he's taunting him. And it's you know, very simple lines, very brief lines, but he says it with such conviction and such pomposity. I, I know some people consider it hammy. I know I know there's some people that think, you know, that's when he's at his hammiest, but I, I don't really look at it as ham. I don't really look at him, you know, chewing the scenery or anything like that. I, I look at him becoming this character and the glee of this character finally getting what he wants, finally getting the Graham Grimoire, finally getting the reward that the, the demon he answers to uh, is, is going to give to him and, and having the key to undoing everything, the power. It, it's almost uh, less of ham and more of being drunk with the power that he feels at his fingertips with this, this Grand Grimoire. And, and Julian Sands just just freaking nails it. I mean, it's it's one of my favorite lines, one of my favorite moments for this character in this movie, uh, in a movie full of great moments. But one of the things I really love about this character, the warlock, and Julian Sands' portrayal of it, is you get a lot of exposition and lore about witchcraft and, and being a warlock without a lot of like traditional exposition. We get to see him doing things, and, and maybe a quick comment from Redfern later, you understand what's going on, that moment when he is talking with the kid in the desert on the swing set playing that football game and asking where the music's coming from. It's from the church. Oh, why aren't you at church? And, you know, kind of fishing for information from this kid. And when he finds out that the kid doesn't go to church, 
uh, his <laughs> the line from the kid about his father doesn't believe in Jesus and the twelve apostrophes. <laughs> just kind of it's it's a stupid line, but it it always makes me laugh. It's just kind of the the stupid things kids say. But the look of glee on Julian Sands' face when he finds out when his character finds out the kid's not been baptized, and then that line later from Redfern where they found the kid's been dead. They think it was a, a coyote because he was skinned and. And Redfern talks about how human fat is important to to witches and warlocks, but the most coveted is the fat of an unbaptized male child, and that can only mean one thing, flying potion. And then, of course, the next scene you get him uh, going past the cop's radar, uh, flying around at uh, ridiculous speeds. But uh, it's such wonderful revelations of the lore about the warlock and, and witches in this uh, was done so well that, that we're going to show you and then with a little exposition that is a part of the story. It's not just exposition for exposition's sake. It is exposition that is is a part of the of what's going on. It's, okay, hey, what happened here? Oh, this is what happened. Or this is why this happened. And it's done quite well, I think. Uh, you know, in, having watched movies with shitty lines of exposition, uh, the exposition in this is is quite enjoyable and, and very interesting. And, and it draws you deeper into the story. But these two characters, these two actors, Richard E. Grant and Julian Sands, I, I wish... We could have had more back and forth between them because the scenes where they're uh, talking back and forth were just were just magical to me. Uh, especially, like you said, you have these two British actors who really grasp and, and really make believable all the the lexicon of the late 1600s and make you where it could come across as kind of hokey and old fashioned. They they make it believable and cool almost to a degree. And I, I really wished they would have brought the Redfern character back for Warlock Part 2 because I I think that would have made that a better movie than what it really was. We'll talk about that movie briefly uh, coming up here uh, a little bit later, but uh, I really could have used more of Richard Grant and Julian Sands in this movie and in other Warlock movies. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. But aside from the great actors, and and, uh, I do want to mention, you know, Laurie Singer did a good job with this movie. Uh, her character was just kind of, uh, for me, I, I like her in this character. I thought she did a good job with the character of Cassandra, Cassandra with a K, but uh, Lori Singer, the sister of uh, Beastmaster and V's Mark Singer, she, her character just really felt like the cliche female of the 80s. That's not to say I, I didn't enjoy her performance, uh, although I heard that she was quite difficult. Uh, as opposed to the other two actors, she was difficult. And, and I think that had a lot to do with the aging makeup that they did on her because she had that uh, hex put on her where she ages 20 years every day. And I have to imagine, under the best of circumstances, wearing all that prosthetic makeup is going to be difficult and sitting in makeup for hours getting all this stuff applied. But but it looked really good, especially the 60-year-old Cassandra. I thought that makeup looked really good. Really believable, really convincing. Uh, I like the wigs that used. Actually, I think the wigs that they used for when she's 40 and when she's 60 look better than the hair she had at the beginning and the end of the movie. That that red, I don't know, frizzy. I'm not sure if that was a wig 
or or what was going on there, but uh, I did not. Even my wife commented on it. She's like, oh, she really got something going on with that hair. And I was like, oh, yeah, she does. But that's one of the things that really makes this movie shine is is the quality actors in it. Uh, you know, the, the main characters in this, Julian Sands, Richard E. Grant, even Laurie Singer. She's likable enough. She's enjoyable enough, but she can be a little little annoying at times at the beginning then she becomes you know kind of cools out a little bit and is less of a tag along and more of somebody driving the story later on and and Laurie Singer I think does a really good job of this character uh, but aside from the great actors in this and the good actors in this I think the practical effects uh, are something I really enjoyed about this movie. You know, you've got Chaz getting his finger cut off at the beginning. You've got the Chandler who has her eyes gouged out uh, in, after being possessed by the demon. And of course, the, the demon effects on her, I, I thought were really good. As I understand, there was a an extended scene where it actually showed her being killed uh, a little more graphically. But I guess the, the test audiences... The, the effects weren't quite up to snuff and weren't quite good enough. And they, they ended up cutting that and doing kind of a truncated version of her death. But what they did show, I, I thought, was really good. Once the warlock is incinerated with the salt water in his blood veins at the end, you know, the, the, the bloody skeletal remains of the warlock, I thought that was kind of cool and, and gross. One of the things I really did like about this is that it wasn't overly gory, but you did have some some gore and some some blood and some grossness in it, which, which I thought was really cool. I, I like that there was a lot of gross things implied about the kid being skinned alive. Uh, you didn't need to see that, and I'm glad they didn't show that because that would have been less horror and just more shock value, like some of the, the horror movies of today where it's just about grossing you out as opposed to scaring the shit out of you. But uh, I, I like they, they drew a fine line for, for being a rated R movie. I mean, this was rated R, but it wasn't overly gory. It didn't have a, a ton of swear words in it. I mean, there were some, but not you know, it wasn't overly F-bomb driven. And there's no real sex or nudity or anything like that. I think the reason this got an R rating was primarily on the subject matter that it dealt with the occult and witchcraft and, and warlocks and things like that. I think that scared people. It scared the, uh, the ratings folks. And I think that's why this got an R rating because uh, I didn't count the F bombs, but usually it's, uh, it was it like one or two non sexual fucks in a movie? Uh, I know she, Cassandra called the warlock a fuckhead at the end. I'm not sure if there were any other ones, but uh, that may have been why it got an R, maybe one too many F words. But, uh, but for the most part, it was, it was fairly tame for an R rated movie. And that was okay. It didn't really need to get super gory. And it didn't need to have a, a ton of swear words in it. And I'm glad that even though they did have an R rating, they did restrain themselves on those sorts of things. Now, kind of going back to the effects, where I thought they really shined with the practical effects, I, I know that, you know, the special effects, the optical effects at the time are very much of the 80s. They look very 80s. But I don't mind that. It, it's not that... The effects, the optical effects stand the test of time in this. It looks very much of the late 80s, but I, I'd almost rather 
you know, they do what they did then then have some of the, the shitty CG that we have today. You have those moments where he's kind of playing with magic and, and these kind of flamey, tenderly light. Uh, it's supposed to be like ectoplasm coming from him that he shoots out to, to knock people back and stuff like that. Uh, the best they could do is kind of that just uh, typical 80s magical effect that, that comes out of his fingertips. It looks very much of the 80s, very much of the times. Maybe with today's CG, it could have looked a little better, but that I don't mind. I can look past that. When he's flying around, a lot of it is him on like a rig and and the camera pointing at him. Uh, but then some of it's very much green screen work. And, and some of those green screen shots very much look like green screen. But the shots where they did have him like on a crane or suspended on, you know, uh, some sort of wire rigging. Uh, you know, I, that looked good. It looked cool. I, I, I liked it. Uh, there were some effects where he's putting the Grand Grimoire together and the pages are flying through the air. Very much looked of the time, looked of the uh, special effects of the time. But, I, you know, I, I can sit there and watch that and appreciate it for what it is. And I'd almost rather watch that and, and what they did there than to watch them do it completely CG, completely computer animated, and it look terribly CG and computer animated. Uh, it's kind of a, a pick your poison there. Uh, I, I like the look of that time. It just had a special quality about it. For me, you know, growing up, uh, you know, through the 80s. But yeah, the acting, the the lore, you got a lot of really cool witchcraft lore in, in regards to the uh, to the warlock, the whole thing uh, with the Mennonite farmer, where they talk about the hex symbol on the barn uh, was really cool. Uh, when the farmer gets hexed and they have to do the key thing, it doesn't explain why that works. It's just here's you know here's a thing uh, a mobile of, of brass keys and you got to turn it once every hour and putting the the pennies in the mouth and and the one. I really loved was the whole thing with the Cassandra chasing the warlock before she gets her bracelet back to, to end the curse that, that ages her. She has the nails and the hammer and driving nails into the footprint of the warlock. That was just cool. I, I don't know if that's based on anything that was supposed to be real uh, as far as witches go, but in the context of this movie, it's that kind of lore that you don't really need to have an explanation why it works, just that she's doing it and it does work. And that was one of the more interesting scenes. Just loved stuff like that that made this this movie quite interesting and it made it feel like a bigger world than what you're actually seeing now is it a perfect movie no of course you know the special effects things some of the dialogue is very dated but all in all this for my money is a really good movie a really fun movie it's not overly scary although it does have a lot of creepy moments and they they build a lot on atmosphere with this movie atmosphere and and tone and tension and of course I think that is all amplified by the wonderful music by Jerry Goldsmith. The score of this movie just makes every scene creepier. After doing a rewatch of Warlock here recently before this podcast, I went on Spotify and looked up the soundtrack to this and, and just enjoyed listening to the soundtrack. And the soundtrack by itself just elicits those emotions of fear and dread and doom that really added to the ambiance of this movie, added to the atmosphere of this movie. And while this didn't have a lot of scares 
in the movie. And, and you don't want a bunch of jump scares and shit like that in a movie like this. This movie is all about fear, building fear through the idea that this warlock is an emissary of the devil and is trying to end the world and, and the doom that follows that. I mean, that's that's where the scares come from this movie. There's a psychology on top of the atmosphere that, that's built through, through the music, through the tension, uh, through the atmosphere of this film. And then, of course, you have the acting of a, an actor like Julian Sands that makes all this fear that you're building, all this dread that you're building, all this doom that you're building, it makes it believable because he is the perfect vessel to emulate all those fears. He is the personification of all those fears with this character and does a wonderful job in that. So like I said, all in all, this is one of those movies that I could go back every so often and watch it and enjoy it just as much as I did the first time I rented it whenever I first rented this movie and, and I enjoy it just as much on every viewing. Now, of course, they did do a couple of sequels. There was Warlock 2, The Armageddon, which did star Julian Sands, and he was about the only good thing about this movie. Of course, they didn't bring back Redfern, which I was I was disappointed that they didn't do that. They didn't bring back Cassandra. They almost treated this like a standalone movie and really didn't uh, as I remember it didn't really go into the events of the first Warlock. And instead of doing it where uh, you've got Redfern, he's a, a Christian man, and and taking on witchcraft and, and the powers of Satan, this you have uh, Christians are the bad guys, and the Druids, they're the good guys. Of course, Druids are kind of like an early predecessor to witchcraft, and you know, it, it's, it was the 90s, and you know, witchcraft in the 90s became a very glamorous thing. It became a very trendy thing. And, and they decided, well, we can't make witches the bad guys. Uh, we'll have the warlock the bad guy, but uh, the druids, they're going to be the heroes of this movie. And there was a lot of shit with runes. I remember playing the video game version of this movie. And it had a lot of that stuff with runes. And it was confusing as fuck. And I, I as much as I wanted to like the game, because I like Julian Sands, I like the Warlock character, the, the video game version of this movie sucked balls. And then, of course, they had a Warlock 3, which did not star Julian Sands at all. They had another guy come in, and that went direct to video and went direct into the trash can, as far as I was concerned. I had no interest in watching it because Julian Sands wasn't in it. But all in all, The Warlock, a wonderful movie. Uh, I enjoy it so much. Like I said, the great cast. You have an excellent director with Steve Miner. Music by Jerry Goldsmith and written by David Tui, who uh, is a writer of, of some renown. I mean, Jesus, he wrote Critters 2. He wrote The Fugitive. He wrote Waterworld. He wrote uh, G.I. Jane. Uh, he wrote uh, Pitch Black. All the, the Chronicles, the Riddick movies based off, you know, the, the spinoffs of Pitch Black. He wrote those, directed those as well. That new Riddick movie that's going to be coming out sometime. I'm not sure uh, when exactly. It's kind of uh, 
TBD, but uh, he's going to be writing and directing that as well. So uh, yeah, quite a quite an accomplished screenwriter. But David Tui uh, wrote this, and that that I think is one of the strong suits. Is it had a really good story, and it was really well written. And he wrote wonderful characters for actors like Julian Sands and Richard E. Grant to really showcase. Uh, what wonderful actors they are. And of course, Steve Miner and a very accomplished director. Yet a top quality filmmaker, a top quality screenwriter, top quality actors. And I don't think that this movie gets as much credit as it should, having such great quality. And, you know, it's kind of one of those late 80s, early 90s movies, a supernatural horror that deals with witchcraft so it kind of really gets probably maligned because of that or or kind of not even recognized because of that but it really is for my money a top quality movie that like i said uh, i enjoy it just as much today i enjoyed it just as much on the rewatch of it here just a, a few days ago as i did the first time i rented it on vhs cassette and while you can give a lot of credit to steve Miner, david tui the music the other actors, Julian Sands and what he did with this movie really are what make this movie uh, very special. And that I think really is probably one of the saddest things uh, about the whole thing is that now whenever I watch this movie, I'm going to remember the man that we lost way too soon. Uh, now, granted, uh, you talk to Malkovich, you talk to you know some of his brothers, some of the things they've written. Uh, he died doing what he loved. But died way too soon. And thank God he left us such a legacy of wonderful movies and TV and characters that, that he portrayed that, that we can remember him uh, each and every time we watch these. And that's those wonderful characters that he portrayed that touched the lives of so many. And that's a, that's a legacy that I think he would be proud of and that all of his friends and family I'm sure are proud of as well. So there you have it. That's my be kind rewind look back at the 1989 film Warlock starring Julian Sands who we just lost here recently and uh, a wonderful movie that I have a, a great deep respect for and it holds a great deep place in my heart as one of my favorite movies so uh, hopefully you enjoy this movie as much as I did if you've never watched Warlock I encourage you to go check it out rent it uh, you know if you're you're of my age you probably have already seen this but you know I know the younger generation uh, may not have caught this film and I, I think it is worth a watch so I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to my thoughts on Warlock uh, you can check out more what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page we're always posting trailers and articles at my two cents on the uh, topics that we love horror fantasy and science fiction uh, check us out on instagram as well no matter where you listen to this podcast follow it subscribe to it like it whatever you got to do uh, leave a review five stars would be awesome but whatever review you leave we appreciate that share the podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction help us get the word out and help us grow our numbers uh, so we can keep doing what we do and until next time Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!